had to hold that blind, and it was trying to flip me over backwards in <laughs> the chair. And finally, I thought, this ain't worth it. I just laid my gun down, and me and the blind kind of rolled backward down the hill into the holler. Uh, I was intent on saving that blind for whatever reason. I should have just let it go. It would have been in Indiana before too long. Yeah. Tonight we're going to be talking about an article in North American Whitetail called Sign of the Times. It's by Gordon Whittington. It's from the October edition. He's going to talk about hunting over scrapes, when that kind of became popular and why it did, and then why you should still be using that today. And I wanted to go over this one because hunting over scrapes can be one of the best strategies for the pre-rut, which is coming up. So I thought it'd be a good one to lead into some more. We're going to talk about some other stuff we do during the pre-rut. I thought this would be a good article to lead into that and talking about what we're going to be doing in the upcoming week and a half or a week or so. We're still kind of in that October lull period right now, but within the next few days, especially with this colder weather where we're at, we're going to start seeing a, a more of that pre-rut phase kicking in, I think. But before we get started, we'll do our normal um, rut report slash field report or whatever. Um, Nate, I know... You get out last weekend? Sunday. Sunday. Yep. Yeah. Sunday night. I went uh, three or four does. I couldn't tell exactly what they were. Uh, came under me right at dark last Sunday night. Uh, they made their way underneath me and then went out into a bean field. Um, nothing impressive there. Uh, I did get home and uh, my cell camera sent me pictures later. Uh, the buck I was after. Uh, a really nice buck. He was at the other end of the woods. Um, I couldn't go over there uh, safely in my mind where I wanted to be, where he came out right mm-hmm. there at last light with the wind that we had. Uh, I just wasn't uh, wasn't going to chance that. The direction he came from, I think it probably would have all been okay. Um, but uh, I guess we can only speculate at this point, you know. Uh, but he was out moving in daylight. That was... What would that have been? About the 13th, 14th, I think. Um, so yeah, he, he was moving in daylight. Right. Then I had another nice buck moving in daylight on another food plot the next night. Uh, so anyway, uh, I had two good ones on their feet in daylight uh, hitting food sources uh, this past week. Now, Both of the evening? Both in the evening. Uh, since then, uh, nighttime activity from one or two mature bucks is all I've got on the cameras. Neither of those bucks have really been around on camera. Uh, those two nice ones I was talking about, mm-hmm. um, moving in daylight. Those guys haven't been on camera too much after that um, since then. So as far as what's coming in the shop and what people are seeing, uh, buck to doe ratio is really almost leveled out now. Now bucks, as in not mature four and five year old deer, uh, two and a half to three year old uh, bucks usually the ones that get out earlier than the rest of them do anyway and and i don't know if i'm if i'm attributing that to more guys that are hunting right now than was two weeks ago and they're just getting that first one out of the way or um they're being a little more active i'm not sure but uh yeah the buck deal ratios leveled out quite a bit so <clears throat> i'm trying to remember it would have been saturday so i wouldn't have covered it on the last podcast saturday evening of this past weekend I sat and saw close to 10 does and fawns, probably 10 or 12, and uh, a little buck, and then right at last light, probably 20 minutes before last light, saw a decent buck, 
all the way across the bean field. Didn't get real good video of him. Couldn't see him really well. Three and a half or four and a half year old deer. Um, potentially a shooter, but like I said, I couldn't see him that well. But he was up in the daylight moving. He was kind of running through the bean field. I don't know exactly where he came from or what he was doing. But the next morning, just saw that same one little buck. Um, <clears throat> and then it kind of warmed up. And actually tonight, I just climbed out of the tree probably an hour ago. Um, was the first time I've been since then. And saw a handful of does, say five or six, uh, nothing else. I did see a good buck on the drive out who was close to the road. So he had obviously been moving at daylight, at the end of daylight at least. There's no... He might have been bedding close by there. There is some decent bedding, I think, in that area. But uh, starting to see some bigger bucks on their feet during the daylight, I think. Which is getting to be that time of year, too, with the pre-rut coming up. So, Especially with this cold front coming through. I think probably this whole weekend should be pretty good. I don't know what you're looking for, if you're going to try to get out this weekend or not. Uh, Sunday's probably going to be my only day. Uh, Sunday evening uh, this week. I think they're giving rain. Uh, I believe they're they giving are. rain. Um, I don't know uh, how ambitious I'm going to be. Uh, maybe depending on what wind I got, you know. Yeah. Um, or maybe what uh, what I see on camera tomorrow and Saturday. Uh, that might change my opinion. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm ready to get wet just yet. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. It's not quite the uh, first week of November. I'm going to be out there no matter what kind of stage. That's right. If there's any lightning icons on the forecast, I'm probably going to be on the couch. <laughs> That's probably the place to be. So we'll jump into the article then. Like I said, it's called Sign of the Times by Gordon Whittington. He starts by saying, Back when the point of hunting whitetail shifted from needing a buck to merely wanting one, nearly everything else about it changed too. In the wake of this paradigm shift, we were left with, very different, with a very different hunting culture. There was a sweeping revolution in not just why people hunted, but also how. And in a sense, it directly led to the advent of a tactic that for years was right on the cutting edge, scrape hunting. And then he goes into kind of the early, he says, a practical approach, the, kind of the early days of hunting. In the mid-20th century, as restocked whitetail herds were growing in the wild, and wildlife agencies were reporting seasons, reopening seasons. Sorry, I can't read, apparently. Let me start that over. In the mid-20th century, as restocked whitetail herds were growing and wildlife agencies were reopening seasons, most whitetail hunters still mainly wanted meat for the pot. Those were legally off-limits in broad parts of the landscape, so bucks were the target. Anything with antlers was good enough. So I wanted to kind of stop there. Not that it has anything to do with scrape hunting or anything, but uh, that's a totally different world from where we're at now. You couldn't even shoot a doe legally back then. Um not really a big uh, conservation program as far as killing big deer for sure that was their their way of herd management or at least herd growth which is a, a way of herd management so yeah that's you can't kill mama if you yeah. want any babies <laughs> right at least that was a sort of conservation for what they were needing obviously the numbers weren't where they are now so you know like you said you can't kill the does then that was their idea of bringing the herd back i guess the herd numbers which in a way makes sense but also if you kill daddy you can't have babies either but so he kind of i skipped over a little bit here um but he kind of he talked about a lot there in the first part about why guys were hunting in there uh, back in the day and really it boiled down to they were hunting for meat um they were getting out there to hunt to uh put food on the table basically so they were shooting anything and everything 
um, which is still what some guys do, which is fine. But uh, then he kind of starts talking about nowadays and how it switched and uh, when it switched kind of. So he says, while it sounds far-fetched these days, back then some of the most skilled hunters had never tried to target specific deer. Thus the process was poorly defined and not widely understood. How could you go from just dreaming of a big buck to actually finding one? There weren't any trail cameras. That left only three practical means of confirmation, through a visual sighting, by finding shed antlers, or by locating, identifying, and interpreting sign of a big buck that a big buck had left behind. <clears throat> With the overall lack of published information on the buck sign back then, there was confusion about what it was and what it meant. Even as North American whitetail was getting off the ground nearly 40 years ago, some hunters called rubs scrapes. They'd heard the term and knew it referred to buck sign, but they assumed a scrape was a tree trunk that had been scraped by antlers. Some other hunters referred to rubs as hookings, and some called true scrapes pawings or scratchings. Still others preferred ground scrape, presumably to make sure people knew they were talking about scrapes and not rubs. There's still a ton of confusion, I feel like, on that, whether it's guys we talk to um, through the consulting business or uh, just guys that come in the shop and shooting crap, telling deer stories and talking about scrapes and rubs. I still feel like there's a lot of confusion on, okay, a rub's on a tree and a scrape's on the ground. You know what I, I mean? I think they know what they're seeing. I just don't think they un they have the right terminology. They're mixing yeah. up the terminology. I mean, I think they understand the difference between a rub and a scrape. They're just mixing up what they're calling them. Right. From the guys that I talk to. Yeah. Which, like he said, they were fighting that back then. And I still think that's a thing now, whether it's just oh, they no don't question. know. Yeah. yeah, they don't know what they're calling it or whatever, But which is understandable because you see scraped antlers on a tree. That's a scrape, you know, whatever it is. The problem with that is, most of the time, those actual rub lines, they're not using during the day, and they may only go rub their antlers on that tree one time, but they'll hit the right scrape over and over and over and mm -hmm. come back and check it and make sure their scent's still fresh in there and hit that during the daylight. So mm -hmm. that's where it's important to know the difference because if you're hunting a rub line, you're probably, you might be wasting your time, whereas yep. if you're hunting, does that mean that means there's a big buck in the area, or at least a buck in the area, but whereas you're hunting that scrape line, you might be more apt to see daylight movement. Yeah, I think uh, I think if you find a, a good rub line, um, uh, he might have just been in the mood to work his neck out for uh, 15 minutes one day, yeah. and he hit five or six trees down through there. Yeah, it might look impressive, uh, but it didn't mean much to him, you know. Yeah. That was just something to occupy his time for uh, not very long, and he's not planning on coming back. Yeah. Yeah, and what your article's talking about 40 years ago, uh, uh, you found rub line 40 years ago, you're in a hot spot. Yeah. You didn't tell anybody. <laughs> I mean, they're just deer sign, you know, and so no cameras, no, not a lot of deer. There was a lot of deer, but not like we see today. And so, yeah, yeah, you know, sign, sign, you know. Yeah. There's a deer somewhere, or at least there was, you know. Yeah. And I think it's still useful in that sense of, you you know, there was, was, or maybe probably, possibly still is, depending on how fresh that rub is that there is a buck in that area. So especially like say you're hunting public ground, if you can get in a spot where there's a bunch of rubs and there's old rubs like year over year rubs, and then there's some fresh ones in there with it, you know, that's probably a decent place to be in that general area. It doesn't necessarily mean you want to set up on that rub line, but you know, sign sign in that sense is that at least it's confirmation that there's deer in the area. I know we've talked about this on one other podcast maybe, but the place I was hunting tonight actually, There'll be deer coming there, 
mature bucks and they'll stay for two weeks and then they'll be gone. Well, if I go in there and I'm seeing, because three quarters of the year, there won't be much buck sign through there because it's just kind of a cruising spot for them and they'll come in, hit a doe, and they'll stick around, like I said, for a couple weeks and then leave. If I'm walking in and I can remember a specific incident last year and I see a fresh rub on the way in or a couple or maybe a fresh scrape, um, that tells me that, okay, I'm probably going to have a buck on my camera when I go check it. And there's a likelihood that he's in the area now, you know, mm-hmm. so Still it's around. at least, it's at least good for that for yeah. sure. So we'll get back in the article a little bit here. He says, as detailed features on scrapes began filtering out to the public, the confusion in some cases actually increased. That's because you didn't just have scrapes within that broad category. You had community scrapes, primary scrapes, boundary scrapes, field scrapes, and even more. Whatever the author deemed worth calling a category, in essence, became one. It's just unfortunate that the result might have caused more confusion than clarity. So maybe that's part of where all that came from, too, because not necessarily that there are a whole bunch of different types of scrapes, but there definitely are. I mean, like you said, a field scrape isn't necessarily the same as a big community scrape in the middle of a woods. You find them in different spots. Uh Uh-huh. And used for different things, or like you said... Where that buck may just come in and want to work his neck out for 15 minutes or rub a whole bunch of trees. Well, he may have just been feeling frisky walking the field edge and, well, there's a branch I can lick. So I'm going to lick it and then paw the ground and that never gets hit again. Yeah. You know? So that, maybe that's some of the confusion too. So he continues and says one of the early misconceptions revolved around what the scrapes even were. Yes, they'd been pawed out by the bucks, but why? Back then it was widely held that a scrape was a place a buck would create, urinate in, and then assuredly return again and again, hoping to find a hot doe waiting for him there. Hunt that spot often enough, and sooner or later you'd catch Mr. Big on the scene. Of course, we quickly realized there was more to it than that. For one thing, there were a lot more scrapes than most hunters realized, and not all were worth setting up over, kind of like what we were just talking about. Even the good ones weren't worth hunting for long. Sure enough, after spending spending untold hours watching scrapes grow cold and eventually fill in with leaves, many hunters grew disenchanted with the idea. Especially frustrating were those obvious scrapes on the edges of fields, meadows, and clear cuts. They looked so good. Sadly, even if they continued to be reworked, the best action almost always occurred outside legal shooting hours. And back then, no one had trail cameras to confirm which bucks had done the nocturnal pawing or branch licking. It was easy to wonder if you were going about it in the right way. So, that's something we hit on real quick. Uh, Just because there is a scrape there doesn't mean that's the one you need to be setting up on. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, just walking around the woods, we've all seen those scrapes that look like maybe they were just worked last night or something, but then maybe it's like, say you're passing it on your way to your stand, the next time you pass it, it hasn't been worked, and the next time it's covered up with leaves, and the next time it's really not even there anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, All three of my main food plots uh, right there around home. Uh, one of them's about a half acre, three quarters of an acre. The other two are pretty small, uh, maybe a quarter of an acre. Uh, but I try to, uh, I try to get, I like being in, uh, I got a lot of shingle oaks. I like hunting in a shingle oak. Of course they keep their leaves all winter. Um, I feel like I, I can hide good up in there anyway. Uh, of course those shingle oaks a lot of times have low hanging branches. Um, if I can have a big scrape established within 15 yards of my stand right there, um, on the edge of a food plot, I'm mainly just wanting to use that scrape as if he gets in the food plot, messes around, he's probably going to come check the scrape. It's within range of me. 
um, and it's also occupying his mind. Uh, hopefully, it'll let me get drawn back on him. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have one or two good scrapes uh, within range in every food plot. And again, that's all I'm using them for mm-hmm. is uh, hopefully just to lure him in to where I want him to be to try to get a shot at him. Uh, yeah. But I keep my cameras on them too. The does will come around. They'll rub their face up on the, oh, on yeah. the licking branch. You know, um, all the bucks that come in there, they're going to scent check the scrape, see what's going on. You know, um, but uh, uh, that's where I am. That's where I'm focused right now in the pre-rut. I feel like everything's pretty much shaken down. All these bucks have moved from their summer range to their fall range, and they're kind of getting settled in now. Is what I feel like, and they're seeing who's still around or what yeah. new buck is around now. And they're trying to figure everybody out and really get their range locked down. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like scrapes are a great way to really take inventory right now, what you might have for the rut. Uh, so oh, yeah. uh, that they're all they're all hitting the scrapes and really trying to see who's where. Yeah, I'm like you talked about where you have those scrapes kind of around your food plot. Um, I do this. I know a lot of guys do it. You go in and just cut a small tree down, bury it, and make your own mock scrape in that yep. food plot. Uh, they'll come check it when they hit the food plot. Oh, yeah. It's not necessarily going to bring them across the hundred acre field, but if they're on the other side of that food plot or coming in, put it in bow range. Maybe what draws them in for a shot. Yeah. And what you said there about inventory, and go ahead and put your camera on that, mm-hmm. and then at least that'll give them a spot to stop. You can get a decent picture of them while they're at that licking branch or yep. working that scrape. You know. You, you know what, and you know when mm-hmm. at that point. Yep. So I think they're a really good tool for that, and especially everything you said there about what they're doing this time of year really makes them a good place to be in the pre-rut. So we'll get back to the article. He goes on to talk a little bit about uh, uh, some more, what do you call it earlier, publications coming out about scrapes. So there was more and more information. And he says, from there, the fascination with scrape hunting seemed to grow quickly. So did reader interest in mock scrapes. At least as far back as 1988, those also were being discussed in our pages. It was a time of rapid innovation and excitement. The number of big deer was on the rise, and everyone was looking for any little edge that might make the difference. And armed with the right knowledge and tools, many hunters experienced success hunting over scrapes. Because most scrape use occurs between mid-October and early November, bow hunters often enjoyed the best of this action. The advent of portable tree stands went hand-in-hand with this, as did new rut scents formulated to use in and around both natural and mock scrapes, electronics such as trail cameras, Um, and later the trail camera, or I'm sorry, he says electronics such as the trail timer, which I think we talked about, uh, maybe it was the first one or maybe some other time, I think Jeff might even hit on it again the last time, but so the advent uh, such as the trail timer and later the trail camera itself helped clarify when activity was happening. The intel allowed hunters to focus their efforts on the better scrapes and times. So that's where if you find one of those scrapes and you're not sure about it, if you've got a camera, you can set it up on it, and then you'll know, are they using this scrape at all? And if they are, are they using it during the daylight? Is it worth sitting over? So we have so many tools at our disposal that they didn't have. Oh, yeah. And... Maybe some of this was why some of that stuff started happening and coming out because guys got more excited about hunting those big deer and they were looking, like he said, for any little edge. So you start getting more and more technologically advanced. Then we get into cameras and all that and cell cameras now, um, putting them on scrapes and stuff. That's that's huge for us as far as figuring out what scrapes to hunt and that. And it can definitely be a, a good strategy for this time of year. I remember an old uh, Roger Ragland video 
I think I have a DVD copy of it now. But, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> it was VHS. Um, it was called Scrape, Rattle, and Roll, I think, and it was all about <laughs> yep. it was all about hunting scrapes. Um, and it was just like this guy's talking about. You know, he'd go in there like this whole video was dedicated to that kind of thing. He was doing it in late season, which we'll get into when the late season rolls around because that's when the bucks start hitting those scrapes again where they don't during the, the rut. But uh, he'd just go in there and find some hot sign and scrapes or whatever and set up almost right on top of them, you know, 10, 15 foot off the ground in this climber and really what he's talking about here and killing big bucks on them. So, yep. I mean, it worked back then. It stands to reason that it, it still works now, mm-hmm. you know especially like i said those guys doing it with nothing but walking in with their old like the first generation climbing stands and uh whittle makers uh-huh, yeah <laughs> going in and, and finding that sign and just sitting up on it so yep. I mean, now with cameras and stuff there's i think there we've gotten away from it a little bit like with the popularity of food plots and bait in some states and stuff like that we've really gotten away from going in and finding that kind of sign and doing some boots on the ground scouting kind of stuff and some yeah. observation st- sits and using that to our advantage too. And there's no reason we shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. I mean, there, there's so much value in still using that stuff that the old timers were using. And like I said, that he was using back in the late eighties, early nineties before they had all the gadget stuff we have now. Yeah. Why not use that too? It's still a tool you can have in your belt. I, I'm not sure that, you know, guys today aren't putting in just as much time as what we did back then. It's you're putting in your time before it's hunting season. You get the tarot cameras out there. You get your mock scrapes. You get all this stuff. Whereas back in those days, Roger Raglan, you're talking about late 80s or early 90s, he he went out during hunting season, and that was you know he would do those those mm-hmm. observation sits where yeah. where we do now we do observation cell cameras. Yeah, <laughs> you know so. I think the time is still put in. It it's just a different time of year that right. that you're putting it in. Guys are still going out in the woods. You're still checking your cameras. You're still setting up. You're changing your cameras. You're still moving stands, or you're doing your tree trimming. Mm-hmm. Back in those days, we were setting up stands, tower stands, or whatever. Now you may not set up a tower stand, but you're going to go in there and scout a tree, or you're going to cut a few limbs earlier. You're just not doing it during the season like we had to back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think technology's helped you out that way. Yeah, and that's not to say there's anything wrong with uh, all the newer stuff, and definitely food plots. I mean, we talk about those until I'm blue in the face. I'll talk about those and do videos on them and stuff. But yeah, uh, and how valuable that is. I mean, food's one of the biggest things. But maybe number one, you're on a property where you have no control over the food. If you just got a permission property, or you can't put food plots on because most of it's farm ground. And you can't do anything else with it when the crops are gone the crops are gone and nowadays with the combines and stuff these guys are running it ain't leaving a lot behind unless you get you know the occasional guy that fills the hopper <laughs> over the top yeah <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah. most of the time there's not that much left when they get done yeah um, so this is stuff that those guys can use for sure. And even if, even if you do have those properties where you're putting food plots on, if you're not seeing the kind of deer you think you should be, you can still go in during the season and do that scouting like they used to do. Just add it on top of the, what you're doing before the season and using with your cameras. I mean, I think you'd be mm-hmm. that much better off for it as long as you're not intruding too much and, you know, you're being smart about it. Yeah. But. Low impact is uh, definitely pushed. feels like more and more all the time. You, you know, you hear guys talking about lower impact, lower impact. 
Um, so it's uh, it's not as popular of an idea to go out and do the in-season scouting, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, but I've done it. But you, uh, because even, you don't have to. Yeah. But I've even done it recently. Um, things, uh, and maybe I was hunting stupid, and I didn't realize it, you know. But I wasn't seeing what I thought I should be seeing, you know. Um, not seeing the activity I, I was earlier in the season or something. Uh, so I'd go out and I'd walk around and I'd change, you know. Um, I'd change stand locations based on what I saw. I've even done this just recently, you know. Uh, man, I found some stuff that uh, just just out of sight, you know, in the woods. Uh, I'd get over there and that's where they were moving, you know. Mm-hmm. So I found out I needed to be over there. Uh, so I don't, uh, don't, don't get everything set up for opening day of bow season and think that's the way it's got to be the whole season because it sure ain't. No, no, no. It's, it's going to change. Yep. Yeah. And we tell clients that when we go to their property and set it up for them, we'll say, number one, we've added, most of the time, we've added food because they didn't have enough. That's number, That's going to change things right off the bat. This is just where we expect them to be. You're the one hunting this. You know where they've been in the past. Um, so when you get out there this fall, don't think this is just absolutely where that stand placement has to be, where that camera has to be. If you're seeing something else, adapt to it. Move. As long as it's not... As long as you're not doing it at 9 in the morning, you know, or uh, 6 in the evening, get out there in the middle of the day if it's, especially this time of year when they're not moving that much, go move a stand around. As long as your wind's not blowing over a bedding area and you're not leaving too much of your scent around, go out there and and change and adapt and do some of that in-season scouting. You know, like you said, if you do see something different going on, Mm -hmm. make a move if if you have to, especially if you weren't doing any good where you were at to start with. Yeah, and and we're getting later into the year now, where you want to have your stands in the right place coming oh, yeah. up for these next couple of weeks. Oh yeah. So, and if uh, uh, if you can, uh, if you find a rain a rainy day or something, you know, uh, if you got a chance, move those stands in. That I I feel like that uh, that really covers a whole lot of scent, you know, um, commotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can do it, then it's a perfect time. Yeah, because. You know? You're going to leave scent when you go in, pretty oh, yeah. much no matter what. Oh, I mean, yeah. I've heard of guys using those PVC waders, which would be a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but you Man, still got to get sp- hot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You still got to spray them down and all that and go through all of that stuff to not leave too much scent behind yeah. it. And you're still bound to leave something. Yep. But like you said, if you can go in and do it either on a rainy day or before rain, at least that rain's going to come in and wash your scent away yep. sooner. So it's not going to linger as long. Yeah. Because that's what you're talking about, low impact. If I go into the woods and I'm brushing up against all this brush and leaves mm-hmm. and limbs and whatnot, and it it's not going to rain. Four or five hours later, that buck walks through there and smells me. He's going to remember that. Yeah. Uh, and he may not come back. And yep. So be smart about it. Yeah. You know, still, that's that's kind of an underlying thing with everything. Your scent's still huge, but mm-hmm. that rainy day thing, that's definitely, definitely could be a way to do it, as long as you're not afraid to get a little wet. Yep. But obviously, I... Don't go do it in a thunderstorm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't go moving uh, your metal stands around yeah, in a lightning storm. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, not to say I haven't done that before. Me and Tubsy were putting up a buddy stand one time, and it was early October, and we'd it was kind of a new spot. He'd farmed it forever but never hunted it. And he said, we see deer here all the time. I was like, well, let's put a stand up. You know, We didn't really know what we were doing at the time, but we ended up in a really good spot. However, it was early October, and... We packed this stand in in the box, and we put it all together right there at the tree, and sure enough, here comes a, a big storm, like a gully washer, <laughs> <laughs> rolling in. 
So we're hunkered up under this tree, under this cardboard box that's falling apart around us, <laughs> trying to keep the rain off of us long enough to where we get this stupid stand put up. Well, finally, it, we just decided we're just going to have to get wet, so we ditched the box and put the stand up and left. But, yeah, maybe uh, check the weather forecast a little bit. If it's going to be a yep. thunderstorm, maybe you don't want to go do that. I hunted one time, and speaking of thunderstorm, I was I had permission to hunt property that's like pretty close to Scrub Hill, which is basically the highest part in Wayne County. Mm-hmm. I have to walk through a twenty acre field to get to the woods. Well, I got in there. Well, then it started lightning and carrying on, and I'm I'm in a tree stand, and it's a it's a tower stand, so there's metal from top to bottom. I'm grounded really well. <laughs> I'm thinking I I need to get out of here, right? The problem is I get on the ground. I got aluminum bow, right? I get on the ground. I've got to walk through the highest part of Wayne County through a 20-acre <laughs> field to get to my truck holding an aluminum bow and lightning popping everywhere. I did, but it wasn't a real comfortable feeling, yeah. I can tell you that. Was the walk out faster than the walk in? You're darn right it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's a borderline run, I'm guessing. But, oh, uh, man. Yeah. Maybe check the weather before you go in and do that kind of stuff. It makes for a good story. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I remember, oh gosh, years ago, uh, I was probably 15 or 16, gun season, uh, oh, first season, Saturday afternoon, I was sitting in a little pop-up blind, you know, sitting on the ground on a field edge, I I uh, can't remember why I was sitting there, but I thought, ah, that's a good spot, you know, it wasn't, uh, but that's where <laughs> I was sitting, I was looking at my phone, I uh, just did have a phone, I was looking at the radar, and I thought, that looks like a storm coming, I looked at the radar, yeah, it's a storm coming, I thought, ah, maybe it'll pass pretty quick, um, I'm sitting there, and I could see a long ways to the west, and looking at it, and all of a sudden, you can see dust flying, you can see leaves, you can see some twigs falling out of trees, you know, I thought, <laughs> man, this could get wild, and that hit that blind, I didn't have a stake down or anything, that hit that blind, and I mean, I'm a big guy, you can't see me here, but I'm a big guy. <laughs> I had to hold that blind, and it was trying to flip me over backwards in the chair. And finally, I thought, this ain't worth it. I just laid my gun down, and me and the blind kind of rolled backward down the hill into the holler. Um, I was intent on saving that blind for whatever reason. I should have just let it go. It would have been in Indiana before too long. Um, but uh, for whatever reason, my priority was that $60 pop-up blind. Not, not my, the $200 not, gun. Not my shotgun or my chair, <laughs> you know. Uh, I have no idea why I thought that was a good idea. Uh, and and if you guys were out hunting in that, you're not very self-respecting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We all should have been home that afternoon. Oh, boy. it's uh, <laughs> We'll go out there and not even think about that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. It's funny because it, all you got to do is look, look at the – you know, hourly forecast or whatever, and you yeah. can see, hey, there's a thunderstorm coming. Or uh, sometimes we just get so hard headed, we'll think, yeah, but I'll be out of there before it comes through. It it won't be through till dark, yeah. you know. And then you end up getting caught in it. But yeah, I flew a kite a lot when I was a little kid, and then one time there when I was about sixteen or seventeen, it was a camo that time. <laughs> you flew hunting, by oh hunt. man. <laughs> oh yeah. So, what I wanted to talk about after we got done with the article is. Like I said, the pre-rut's right around the corner. Um, this will be the 22nd when this goes on, when this airs, uh, or goes up, I should say. So about another three, four days, we're looking at one of the best weeks of the season. And hopefully the weather holds out for us. But, uh, Nate, I want to get your kind of thoughts and ideas. Obviously, we talked about scrape lines, but we're not necessarily into hunting those those rut stands just yet. 
Uh, maybe if you see some certain activity, you're going to key in on them. But what are you kind of looking for, like, if you can, if you're going to, or if you would be able to get out this next upcoming week? What's kind of some stuff you're looking at as far as spots or, or what you're looking to hit, mornings, afternoons, whatever it may be? Uh, I would like to get in somewhat close to bedding in morning. Uh, if I was going to be able to go on a morning hunt, I'd like to try to get in somewhere close to bedding. Um, not really focused on uh being on the dominant downwind side of it like i would if i was trying to hunt a buck in the rut you know uh in the rut i'd want to be on the downwind side of a thicket um hoping that i could catch him cruising you know um they the mature bucks know that it's not yet you know it's not ready yet but i'd like to be somewhere close to his bedding uh if i could be in the morning hoping that he's just up messing around still he's feeling good enough he's excited enough that he's not ready to lay down and he's out cruising around making some scrapes or something, you know. Uh, just catching him being lazy and late in the morning. Um, if I could uh, if I could hunt in the mornings, that's what I'd want to do. Evenings, I'm still going to focus on food. Um, hoping that he'll come out early. Um, hit uh, uh, or before dark, I should say. You know, um, if he's coming out before dark, I'm calling that coming out early. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the first one on the food plot. Right, but, uh, right. Yeah, hoping that I can catch him moving before dark. Coming and hitting the food, um, uh, refreshing those scrapes, you know, making his presence known. Uh, that's what I'd be doing hunting the evenings. I know I'm going to get to hunt Sunday evening if I'm brave enough to get out in the rain or right. if it's not raining, you know. Uh, but if I'm hunting, that's where I'm going to be, uh, food in the evening still, um, uh, trying to catch him, making his presence known still. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, uh, if the rain gets out of here Sunday and Sunday evening starts cooling down. Oh, then, man, yeah. And Sunday evening... And Monday, Monday evening, depending on how long it stays cool, I think you'll we'll start seeing a few big bucks moving just because they kind of want to, but it's a little warm yet. Uh, but but if you if it cools down a little bit, then that kind of want to is going to turn into a little something. Yeah, you know they're not going to get hot, but but they might start moving a little bit. I, I expect to see some more mature deer come in the shop this this week if it's if it's cool a day or two mm-hmm. i do i think i'd heard the moon guys talking um around the 25th i thought yeah. i'd heard those guys yeah. saying that was supposed to be good That's i think just the four word, days we're like right in the middle of the full moon now yeah so, yeah and generally in and around that full moon is one of the best times for daylight movement mm-hmm. so we're hitting that really about right and then I don't know where that puts it in November, but at mm-hmm. least for now, that's it's hitting at a pretty good time of year for us as far as that goes, yeah. as far as daylight movement. So, like what you said about in the mornings and the evenings, kind of what I'm thinking too. If I can get on a good travel corridor with maybe a scrape on it somewhere or one of my mock scrapes for the morning, catch him coming back running through there because they're getting that time of year where they're going to be hanging out, moving more in the mornings. Yeah. So, Maybe you hadn't been hunting them most of October. This is where we can really start looking at more yeah. morning hunts, especially those cooler ones, um, to catch them moving in the daylight because they're getting ready for the rut. Yep. Like you said, the big boys know it's not here yet, but they know it's time to start getting ready mm-hmm. and start inventorying their own area like we yeah. would, you yeah. know, using those scent lines and, and scrapes and whatnot. So kind of starting to hunt more with a rut mindset in the morning but still not quite there i'm still not going to quite hunt those rut funnels or like you said on yeah. the downwind siding a downwind side of a, a real thick bedding area whatever yeah. doe bedding um or all day i'm not going to still not really sit in mid-morning you know yeah, uh, uh, yeah. all day sits but uh, then in the evenings 
that's going to be where you're kind of going to see them more back to what they were doing the rest of the month mm-hmm. as far as going hitting food. Uh, yeah. A, a big thing right now is that green to green transfer they're doing. So where the beans are turning now, um, most all of them that I've seen are pretty much turned out of green by now. And a lot of them are going to be out by the end of next week for sure, I'd say. A lot of the corn's already gone and it's going. So their green food sources are dwindling. A lot of the brush and the browse in the woods is going to start dying soon. So if you got those good green brassica plots or clover plots or whatever they are, that could be a really good spot for these upcoming evenings. And like you said, they they are going to be scent checking those scrapes on those plots in the evenings too. Um, but they're going to be in that, I think they're going to be in that kind of same earlier October pattern, but they're going to be hitting those green food sources even more mm-hmm. than they would have been then because there's not as much competition for food. Yeah. So if you've got those good food plots, that'd be a really good place to be in the evenings, yep. in my opinion. No, no, I think your your mature bucks are going to hit those acorns pretty hard right now. Um, mm-hmm. They're going to fatten up. They're still going to fatten up because they're going to quit eating here before long. Oh, or, yeah. Or they're not going to eat as much. Yeah. And and they know um, they're going to have a good supper before they go out on the date. You know, yeah. and that's what that's what they're fixing to do. So acorns is always good yeah. this time of year oh, if yeah. the weather's right. If it's cool and they're going they're going to hit them in those early evenings if the weather's right. Yeah. Yep. And this is going to be kind of one of the last bits of the year where they're really going to start hitting those acorns because, like you said, the next couple weeks, three weeks after that, they're going to be chasing does, then they're going to be with does, and then they're going to be looking for does again. And then after that, pretty much the acorn crop's gone or it ain't no good anymore. So this is going to be kind of one of those. If you've got those good oak flats, um, yeah, if you've set on an oak flat in the mm-hmm. early season, don't give up on it yet. Yeah. You might give yeah. it one more or two more cool uh, yeah. periods mm-hmm. uh, before the rut starts. Now, when, once uh, you get into past the pre-rut, all bets are off there. But yeah. they'll they'll mass them acorns when they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do remember last year, uh, my cameras were, man, they got hot. Um, and we even talked about this earlier in one of the earlier podcasts, uh, some guys uh, I think they're Pennsylvania or New York. They were talking now. Mm-hmm. Late October, early November was their best trail camera activity. I'll vouch for that too. Like 28, 29, 30, 31, November 1, 2, and 3. Uh, or that stretch right there last year. Um, my morning scrape activity was just phenomenal. I had mature bucks hitting scrapes uh, every day. Uh, one of them was even like clockwork, five mm-hmm. or six days in a row, you know. Um, why wasn't I there? I don't know. <laughs> you know? Uh, but, uh, man, they went crazy last year. Um, I mean, daylight movement, good bucks. Uh, they were hitting those scrapes. They were, well, I'm calling it being lazy in the mornings. They hadn't went back to bed yet. They were just out running around still. They weren't for long, you know, an hour daylight after daylight, and it was over. Uh, but they were still out messing around. Uh, they were feeling good enough. They wanted to be up doing something. Uh, but they weren't uh, they weren't just going crazy yet. Right. I like what you said about last year too, because that brings up reminded me of something that you still want to look at. Like if you have trail camera pictures from the last couple years, or like that old sign that's still there, that's gonna be you know, like if like you said, you had those bucks moving in that time range. Uh, that's a pretty good indicator that this year somewhere around that they're mm-hmm. gonna be moving again. Because generally yeah. that's the time of year. Um, it's not going to be to the day likely it might be but within you know four or five days mm-hmm. of that when they were moving big last year they're probably going to be doing it again this year yep like i talked about that small piece 
where those bucks will come in for like a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every year, it's between November 5th to 11th or November 11th to 18th, depending mm-hmm. on the year. That's when I know there's going to be at least one, if not two or three mature bucks moving through there. Yeah. Now, whether I'm there on the right day or not, last year it fell on shot. The I had three mature bucks in there. All three of them were on shotgun days. So yeah. I was here working, wasn't even hunting. Yeah. But uh, like 9 o'clock in the morning, all the way to 1 in the afternoon, that middle of the day period is when they yeah. were using it. But, uh, Man. So, it, you know, that's something I'm going to look at. Where were my bucks last year? during this pre-rut phase what cameras were hot what spots were hot then mm-hmm. and then if i got the right wind the right weather for those spots that's where another place to look at so yeah if you got that trail camera stuff i try to always keep i don't keep all the doe pictures and all that oh, stuff no. but if i've got like an interesting picture like i had some hogs on a camera last year <laughs> and a couple had a cattle so i've got those <laughs> kept on there but pretty much any racked buck that i get on camera now i, I have them on like three photo burst so i may not keep all three pictures mm-hmm. but i'm gonna at least keep one picture of that racked buck that way i can go back and see okay last year on october 29th there was this buck mm-hmm. at, on this camera at this yeah. spot and then i can do that from year over year and then i can learn from that and it, it's that's a really good way to hunt this year yep. is to base yourself based off what you're doing off of what they did last year yeah uh, right now i only sort my pictures as to uh, by month uh, I've thought about trying to go as far as um, each individual buck where all I get him, you know, put make make a folder of each buck, you mm-hmm. know, and see if I could track him um, and see if I could try to establish better patterns. You know, I know there's guys out there that are doing it. Uh, I've just not uh, ever delegated the time to do it. <laughs> yeah, it, it takes you know? time. Yeah, sure. and I think I probably need to be a little smarter on a computer than I am. <laughs> but anyway, I think a guy, if you want to put in the time, and do that i think you could probably learn a lot about them oh yeah and probably not too much effort yeah you know yeah and even just flipping through like if you got them on your phone or a computer in a folder it doesn't take a lot of time just flip through there and and if you've got it sorted most of the time the computer will do it for you you can sort it by date Mm -hmm. go in there and look for whatever days are coming up and see what you had going on last year or the year before that you know yeah and then, like you said, if you want to take it even farther than that, I was listening to a podcast with uh, Mark Drury on it. Mm-hmm. He was talking about he was on a flight from Texas to St. Louis or something like that. And uh, he was going through, and this buck that he killed, he killed like a 216-inch deer uh, this year, a couple weeks ago maybe. He did kill a big one already. Um, he was talk- I think it was that buck he was talking about. He was going through all these trail camera pictures year over year, and making a mental map of where this buck was using what his home range was and yeah. what time of year he was where and stuff like yeah. that. So, like you said, you can dive into that stuff as deep as you want to, mm-hmm. even to just, you could make a physical map if you had the time and yep. energy to do it. You sure um, could. You don't have to go that far, though, either. Just go in there and see, like I said, October 24th, this is what I had last year, this is what I didn't have last year. Yep. And then you kind of base it off that. It, it's not going to be to the day, probably, might be, but... They give you a pretty good idea for this time of year yeah, coming up. It won't be far off. Um, you know, deer go into rut, pre-rut, based on daylight, dark, mm-hmm. moon, or whatever. Um, it's not temperature. Now, mm-hmm. now activity later in the day, later in the morning and earlier in the evening may be temperature. Mm-hmm. But the rut itself is is the daylight hours. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, if it was temperature, there wouldn't be no deer in Texas. That's right. Right. Yeah, right. That's right. So, so to say that 
the the daylight hours are the same October 24th this year as they were last year, pretty much. Yeah. And the moon phase may be a little bit different, mm-hmm. and the temperature may be a little bit different. But but the deer, oh yeah, are there based on the daylight and dark. Yeah. There's yes. a reason that the pre rut is where it is every year, and that's pretty much that last week of October. And there's a reason that that really hot part of the rut, best part to be out there, is generally the first week. And there's a reason that lockdown is generally the second week in the middle of yep. the month because there's time of day and yeah, there's a reason day. shotgun season hits that hard spot every exactly. year is because yep. it's the same every year yeah whether it's 75 degrees or 40 degrees maybe there may be a difference in the kill because they're moving more in the daylight like you said but there's a lot of factors of guys yeah. hunting and temperature yada 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 but there's they're yeah. still going to be at that same phase yes yep. generally so i have read a publication i can remember even a guy wrote um he had tracked mature buck daylight pictures um that he had got over the years and if he if he got one in daylight and he was only hunting i mean giants you know he's only interested in 170s and up Mm -hmm. um that's what i'm calling a giant (laughs) anyway yeah yeah, uh, that's fair uh he said if he had if he had those things moving in daylight um on a certain day he was gonna do his best to hunt as close to that picture where he where he got that picture the day before that day and the following day mm-hmm. the next year mm-hmm. and he said it would shock you um you know as long as they're still alive right how close they might be to that yeah um i uh i've never forgotten that i don't know i, th- I think their movement patterns would be real close yep. uh but I, I certainly can't say you know that it's going to be exact uh but but if he was there once you know, he was there once for a reason. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I think like October, let's just say October 24th, just an mm-hmm. arbitrary date. Last year, if the temperature was 40, and this year, if the temperature's 80, probably not going to be the same move. Correct. He might be in the same area, but he might be moving at 3 o'clock in the morning instead yep. of 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. I think that's where your variant comes in more yeah. so than the specific day i think it's yeah. temperature wise yeah and that's what i was going to say we don't discount those nighttime photos because a lot of the cameras nowadays you'll be able to see the temperature so maybe you mm-hmm. look at that picture from october 24th last year and there's a nighttime picture of this really nice buck yeah and you got him on three nights in a row 24th 25th 26th in mm-hmm. the same general area but it was 75 degrees during the day whereas mm-hmm. this year maybe it's going to be 60 degrees during the day so maybe he's in the he's still in that same area Yep. But maybe this year he's going to be in the daylight or yeah. vice versa. It may be that last year he was there in the daylight. This year it's hot and he's going to be there at night. But that's something to consider too. I don't think you should discount nighttime pictures because they're at night. I think you can still learn a lot from them, where that deer's at, where he's going, where he's bedding um, from that. And then, like I said, take that weather into consideration too if you're looking year over year. Yeah. But that's uh, that's kind of everything i wanted to hit on for this week um as far as like the article about the scrapes and be hunting those and then as what we're going to be doing for the pre-rut so we'll get another one done next week and we'll be talking about some more a little bit of that pre-rut stuff but then we'll be hitting on because we'll have another week until we do another one starting on some rut stuff so that's exciting coming up this next week but uh you got any last thoughts on pre-rut hunting or anything like that nate uh don't burn yourself out yet uh yeah i mean uh you we're gonna start seeing more movement you know um still try to stay smart don't burn yourself out yet um it is just 
barely starting to crack open you know uh the these buck movements it's just starting to starting to take off so don't burn yourself out yet before it gets good mm-hmm. oh I, you know I, I would say that uh it might be a good week to uh do a little call shooting if you've got a particular buck that you want to call uh, might be a good time to get that out of the way early uh don't don't ruin your don't run your hunting stand and your hunting spot for, for your big boys to call one. But if you get the opportunity, might be it might be the time to do that. Yep. Yeah, don't let him breed anymore. Well, you know, there's a lot, little, set, little to be said for that. You yep. Know. I want to eventually do a podcast on that because there's a whole lot of studies and research out there on, um, like, the genetics and whether or not killing that five-year-old buck that's a four-point will really keep from having more five-year-old bucks that are four points and all that. I don't know, but I know there's a ton of research out there on it. And I'm sure there's probably some one way and probably some the other, but we'll have to get into that at some point on a podcast, probably either late in the season when we're thinking about doing that kind of stuff or after the season. But anyway, I was going to say, like you said, don't burn yourself out yet. I'm still don't, not really hunting all day sits. Save that stuff for November. Um, If you, if the weather's not right, Still maybe think about either staying on the outside of that and not messing anything up or just staying home and doing something else and make the wife happy, whatever it is. Uh, but get out there and hunt on the good days for sure. Um, even on the bad days, if you want to get out there, get out there. Just be smart about it. So that'll do it for this week. We'll catch you guys again next week. Thanks for listening. And I was going to mention before I get off of here, if you're not in it already, get in the Ridge Hunter Outdoors Big Buck Contest. We're doing that for the first time this year. So we're trying to get more people in it. We do have a certain number that we have to hit for it to happen. So I can't just pull that money out of the air and, and for the prizes and, and have them sitting there for you guys. So we need a certain amount of people to get in to cover at least the cost of the prizes so we can do the event. So if you got buddies, tell them to get in it too. If you're not in it yet, go register. You can do that at Ridge Hunter Outdoors. Go to the link at the top or the tab at the top that says big buck contest click on that you can register hit view details to pay your entry fee it's just 50 bucks think about all the crap that you spend 50 bucks on that you don't need so go do that if you haven't yet guys but thanks for listening and we'll catch you again next week